Chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. The traditional story has three magis traveling on their own from Persia to greet the newborn king. There could easily have been more than three wise men. These are kings spoken of in the Old Testament, and these kings are going to bring gifts with them, which will also be replicated in the millennium. What you find in the Old Testament normally has a twofold application first coming and the second coming. These wise men would have had an army with them. They were well-to-do people. They were traveling with riches. They traveled from Persia, modern-day Iran, all the way to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. When it says they went around asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They asked everybody. They wanted to proclaim their arrival and that is a picture of the second coming in Matthew 24 he comes back with the church and every eye sees him according to Revelation chapter 1 this is what you find here with the first coming whereas when you go to Luke's gospel the shepherds are invited and they come and only they come to witness his birth that's a picture of the rapture when the Lord comes back, he comes just for his church. First Thessalonians chapter 4. But here, this is a public arrival, and they've made quite a commotion, which was their intention, which was their purpose. And the Lord, of course, was behind that because his son is the king of the Jews. And Herod is now on notice. One of the points from verse 2, they came to worship him, Gentiles. As I've already said, Luke will trace Jesus back to Adam, who wasn't a Jew, whereas Matthew traces him back to Abraham, who was a Jew. He was always going to be the Messiah of Jew and Gentile, and here the Magis are Gentiles coming to worship the Jewish Messiah. There's also a level of apostasy here, which you'll find in verses 4, 5, and 6. But look at 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, of course. Here is an unpopular king, an Assyrian, a Gentile who had married his brother's wife, and he had been imposed on the Jewish community as their so-called king, their governor. The Jews despised him. And yet later, in the Gospel accounts, they are supporting Herod over the King of the Jews, Jesus Christ. That is apostasy with a capital A, the worst type of apostasy imaginable. Those that were troubled in Jerusalem are going to be defined, as I've already said, from 4, 5, and 6. And these are your apostate Jewish leaders, foretold in the Old Testament, but nonetheless prophecy is happening right in front of their eyes and for the most part they didn't have a clue what was happening that's the devastating reality of sin for 
And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. They knew the Old Testament scriptures, they knew it inside out, and yet they are in unbelief. This expression governor in Micah, it speaks of a leader. If you go to Micah 5.2, it says, But thou Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Two things they've omitted there. First of all, that he's from everlasting, which makes him deity. Secondly, he's going to be a leader, not a governor. And one writer that I read some years ago made the interesting point that they were terrified to tell Herod that the king of Israel, the true God of Israel, the Messiah, had arrived. They feared man more than God, so they changed it from leader to governor, which, although was still a threat to Herod, wasn't as damning as calling him and giving him his correct title, leader. 7. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. That word diligently will appear several times. And we were told in the book of Hebrews to diligently come to the Lord to search him out. The Old Testament spoke many times of searching for the Lord with all of your heart, crying to the Lord, waiting on the Lord to hear you, to save you. This star travelled from Persia to Israel and there are many videos, many articles that have been put online dealing with the star of Bethlehem and I would invite anybody who wants to look into this star more to go onto YouTube and type in the star of Bethlehem. Much has been said about that but I haven't time for it now. Eight. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. He had no intention of worshipping the Christ, the Messiah, the young child, who of course is no longer a baby, by the way. I'll get that in a few moments. He wants to know, of course, where the Messiah is. He wants to go and kill him, which he will do from verse 16 onwards but here he is completely shaken he has no idea what he's up against really and the wise men have only given him half of the picture and the scribes and the priests and even the wise men to some extent have only given him half the picture because they too may have feared for their own lives 9 when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, 
till it came and stood over where the young child was. One other point, people didn't go from the east to the west to search for the truth. It was normally the west to the east. But here, the so-called brains, the great astrologers, have traveled many miles, days, if not weeks, on camels to come and worship the king. Already he is rewriting history, he's rewriting protocol. 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They've arrived on their own, no Herod, no priests, no scribes, just the Gentiles. 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. He's in a house, not a stable. They worship Christ, not the mother. They bow down at his feet. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius bows down to Peter, and Peter grabs him up, says, don't do that, I'm just a man as you are. And yet how many times have we seen the popes of Rome enjoy people falling down at their feet, kissing their rings, carrying them from A to B. The last pope that was carried like a king was John the Twenty-Third, And he had no problem being carried around like a king. And uh, that shows you once again the falsehood of the papacy. That these men, and that's all they are, just men, are happy to be treated as kings. And Herod, not this Herod, Herod's son, in Acts chapter 12, I believe, is treated as a god. They worshipped him as a god. And because he wouldn't give God, capital G, the glory, the angel of the Lord struck him, killed him. 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Chapter 1. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, deity, I believe. Chapter 2, verse 12, God himself appears to the wise men that they should not go back to Herod, but go another way. You see now how important this is. God himself is personally intervening. When Mary falls pregnant, Gabriel goes to see her. Still an angel. Yes, possibly an archangel, but not deity. Here, the birth of Christ is found and in relation to that, God himself is doing the speaking. He's doing the intervening. This is my son, hear ye him, my beloved son. Mary said in John 2, whatever he says, do it. You've got to come to him. What he says you must do. It's all about him. It's not about you or me or him or her. It's about him. 13. And when they were departed... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child 
to destroy him. Angel of the Lord, once again, deity, go to Egypt, hide there, until I bring you word again. Christ is mentioned before Mary, nearly every single time in scripture. This last expression here, destroy him. You can destroy a person's testimony, you can destroy a person's character. That doesn't mean to annihilate that person. To destroy anybody simply means to cause them to cease from existing. You can physically destroy somebody, but their soul lives on. Here, clearly, this is in reference to physical destruction, but not spiritual destruction. When an unsaved person dies, they go into the ground, and they wait there until the end of the thousand years. Then they are resurrected, and if the name is not found in the book of life, they go into the lake of fire, which is the second death. They will spend all of eternity in the lake of fire. They will never cease to exist. As somebody once said, there was a time when you didn't exist. There will be a time when you will never cease to exist. How true that is. 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Two years of age. He's obviously been born, he's obviously grown from an infant to a toddler, he's gone from a stable to a house. And this interrogation, which started back in 7, has resulted in Herod knowing how old the child was. Now, the wise men may not have completely known what Herod was going to do with that information, but I think they probably did know. And, as I say, he's already found out that he's two years old, and he's in Bethlehem. Foretold, 800 BC, by Micah, affirmed by the scribes and the priests, but discarded by them nonetheless. And here he's going to do what he can to destroy the Messiah, Antichrist. That's what Antichrist does. He tries to destroy what God has raised up. 17. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Rachel, along with Eve and Sarah, is a mother of Israel. Eve is the mother of all living. The women in the Old Testament are types of Israel from a parental type. And you could even stretch out and say that the women in the Old Testament are types of the church here and now if you choose to, but here Rachel is weeping for her children, which Matthew claims is in reference to the children that were slaughtered in Bethlehem. 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought 
the young child's life. The angel now becomes an angel. If you leave the scripture as it is, and I certainly will, it's not the same angel. Herod's dead, his top lieutenants, those that were initially part of the plot to kill the Messiah, are now dead. It's safe to go back. 21, and he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now God is speaking to him. This expression, Archelaus reigning in Judea, in the room of his father, to the best of my knowledge, only the King James has that bit of scripture in there. The New King James doesn't have it. And I don't believe the NIV has it either. But it's important. In the room of his father Herod. It's things like that which make me wonder why so many omissions are found in the New Bibles. Why take that out? Why take it out? He was told to go back. He starts out with faith. And then he gets fearful. That's pretty normal. God sees the fear. God reassures him. Doesn't punish him. Doesn't chastise him. And he continues on. But this time he goes into Galilee. And ends up in Nazareth. And it was spoken of by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Some things in the Old Testament were written down. Some things were spoken that weren't written down. But nonetheless, it says here that God spoke to the prophets. That he would be called a Nazarene. He wasn't born in Nazareth, but he was raised in Nazareth. Okay, with well that we'll conclude the second chapter. And uh, next up, we look at the third chapter.